Well, good morning, everyone. That's, that's strong. We just had a great time of worship, didn't we? Amen. My name is Zach Marino. I'm the high school pastor here at the church. So I get the honor and opportunity to uh, bring God's word to you this morning. And something that uh, you have to know about me is I just, um, I love God's word. I absolutely love it. I, I, I crave it when I'm away from it. You know, you, you kind of go, you have those periods of time where you, you find yourself going, man, I just didn't spend a lot of time in God's word this week. And there's something different about your life at that point. And I know that's the same for me. And so that's why I just, I love God's word. It draws us into a deeper understanding of who Jesus is. It helps us uh, to sing those words so powerfully because we're reflecting on who God is. And, and it's God's way of, of teaching us and showing us who he is and, sh- and more specifically the church. You know, us sitting here this morning, we're the body of Christ. We are the church. And so God's word uh, instructs us and encourages us and challenges us and teaches us and, and comforts us. And that's what I love about God's word. It's not only a personal thing, but it's a corporate thing. It's meant to build up the body. And so as I was preparing uh, this message, uh, it's, I love how God works because um, it started out as kind of a, a personal devotion time uh, in, in Psalm 87, which is a Psalm we'll be studying. But then God kind of took it and morphed it into something more and deeper. And as I studied more, I went, wow, like this is, this is incredible. Like I'm super excited to share this with the church. And so this morning, I'm just praying that the Holy Spirit uh, just unpacks his truth to us as the body, but to you individually where you're at in your walk with Jesus. And so as I, uh, like I said, as I prayed, there was just kind of one main thing that I want us to walk away remembering and embracing and thinking about and sharing on uh, this morning, and it's this. Living, at a, living as a citizen of Zion means celebrating the love of God while living in the power of God. That's what we're gonna be focusing on this morning. So let me pray, and then we'll get into Psalm 87. God, thank you so much for being holy, for being set apart for being the God of the universe, yet choosing to love us, creating us, and revealing yourself to us through your word. Thank you for Jesus, thank you for making a way for us to be in relationship with you. And I just pray this morning that you would have your way with your word and accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, any Bible passage you read, I'm I'm convinced of this, that it's one, you know, short story in the meta-narrative of God's story, amen? And so we, you know, any Bible passage you go to and look to read and understand, it's actually really easy to understand. You say, well, yeah, about those really hard passages like in Leviticus and, you know, Numbers and those really boring passages, and you have nothing out of those. Well, if you think about it this way, that God's story is all about relationship, right? It's it's God's relationship to his people. So I don't care what Bible passage you pick, um, if you're thinking about it in terms of relationship and how is this God, how is this showing me how God's relating to his people, you're gonna understand what the Bible's saying because that's the, that's the point of it, is the Bible is God's story as it relates to his creation. And so when we come to Psalm 87, we can understand this 
Um, and it's a beautiful picture as God relates to his people, Israel. So Psalm 87, like many psalms, uh, is a hymn of praise to God. It's a celebration. It's an acknowledgement of how awesome God is. It's written to bring encouragement to God's chosen people. And here's why. The nation of Israel, um, at this point when this psalm was written, commentators are kind of torn on when this psalm was written, but some of them will say it's post-exilic, meaning it's after the Israelites have come from the exile from Babylon. We know that Babylon, the nation of Babylon, comes and completely destroys the city of Jerusalem and it takes Israel into captivity and this is all part of God's sovereign divine judgment on the nation of Israel as prophesied through the prophets earlier. And so we know that Babylon comes, wipes out Jerusalem, captures the Israelites. Now this Psalm is written when the Israelites have come back from exile. God restores the people to their land and now the Psalmist has been inspired to write this Psalm to the people. And so we, we, we learn a, a little bit about um, the, the nation of Israel as they come back. We, we learn that sup, some things are just not the same for Israel, all right? So they, one of the things is the temple we learned. The, the, the temple um, was built by Solomon originally, just beautiful, shiny, sparkly, everything smells, you know, the new car smell. I mean, it's beautiful, right? Um, and, and people love it. Well, once it gets ransacked by the Babylons, they have to rebuild it. And so they come back. The temple is rebuilt at this point, but it's, it's not like it was. It just, it's not like it was. It, it doesn't have the same shine and glean and feel and celebration. It's just there's the temple and they're worshiping, but it just wasn't the same. It, it, it almost felt, you could use the word, foreign. And when something doesn't feel right like it should, it has a sense of being foreign. The other thing that, that felt a little foreign to the Israelites as they come back after the exile is that before the exile, they were a great nation. I mean, massive nation. God blessed them hugely. They, but they get taken off into exile and people die and, they, and they, they perish. And so when they come back, numerically, they're not as great as they once were. And that brought a little bit of despise from, from the surrounding um, countries and people. They, the, the, the Israelites kind of felt despised because of how small they had become, because their pride was in the, the greatness numerically of their nation. And so Israel's coming back home after the exile, feeling a little foreign with the temple, just not having that same shine, but then also feeling a little bit off and foreign because they didn't have all of their people. And so the, this psalm is written to the people of Israel in this time where they're feeling a little bit foreign and God gives them these awesome reminders of, of how they were loved and the, the purposes that he has for them. And so how I wanna break this psalm down to, to help us really uh, immerse ourselves in what these Israelites uh, would be hearing and experiencing is we're gonna take a look at this. We're gonna take a look at the love of God as seen in Psalm 87, and we're gonna take a look at the power of God as seen in Psalm 87 to, to, get, a, to get a feel for, for what the psalmist is trying to communicate here. So if we look, uh, Psalm 87, we're gonna start in verses one through two. So if you'd follow along. 
He has founded his city on the holy mountain. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwellings of Jacob. Now, that's just enough to stop there and say, okay, what is Zion? I mean, that's not a word that, that we typically talk about a lot in church, is it? I mean, you don't hear the word Zion, you know, taught about or, you know, in your conversations around coffee, you're not talking about Zion. At least I haven't heard a lot of that conversation. Um, so what is Zion? Zion was a word used to describe the kingdom rule and reign of God. Okay, I mean, generally, they use the word Zion to, to explain and help people remember God's sovereign rule. Now, it, it plays out in this way, though. So Zion was, for, for the Israelites, Zion was a local place. It was where God, his presence rested in the temple in Jerusalem. So if you're an Israelite at this point, when you hear the word Zion and say God loves the gates of Zion, the Israelites are being reminded that God loves our people. God loves our nation. Even though though things feel a little bit foreign to us and and we're not sure how to to remake out our identity as, as God's children, this is tough. The psalmist is reminding his people, God loves you. God loves your gates. He loves your city. He loves your people. Isn't that a great thing to be reminded of sometimes? We just need to be reminded that God loves us. When things are feeling a little bit foreign, a little bit unsettling, a little bit, uh, you know that feeling I'm talking about. We can be reminded that God loves us. And so for the people, they're being reminded of this. But, but for the people, this wasn't just a, a locality. It wasn't just a local thing. But the psalmist also used Zion to take their eyes off their circumstances and point them to the eternal dwelling place of God. So now the people had a, not only a local reference where, where they're being reminded that God loves us, he's with us here in our circumstances, but the psalmist says, take heart, man, Zion is also the eternal dwelling place of God, and one day, these two are gonna come together, and it's gonna be amazing. And so we have this picture of the Israelites being reminded of God's love for them and, and starting to point their eyes, not on their circumstances, but taking them to the glories of God. This is the love of God, the love of God reminding them, the love of God pointing them onto himself. And so we have the the, the Zion defined, and now further, we're gonna break this down a little bit more to understand, really unpack this love of God as the Israelites would be understanding it. And here's a couple ways we're gonna do this. One, we're gonna take a look at the purpose of Zion. What is the purpose of Zion? If you're an Israelite, hearing this psalm being declared to you, we need to be reminded, they need to be reminded of their purpose. Right, I mean, they just get completely exiled, completely taken over by a greater nation. Now they're back. What's our purpose? Why, why are we back? What, what do we do now? And God reminds them that in his sovereign love, he has chosen their people to be the physical representation of his character to all nations. He has said, I, in my love, apart from anything you have done, because we know you don't have a great track record, 
I have chosen you in love to be a representation, the physical representation of my character to all nations. That's why you are here. That's why I love you so much. It's not because of how great and shiny you are, but because I have a greater mission for your life, and it's to show others how great I am. That's the purpose of Zion. That's the purpose of the Israelite people at this point. They're being reminded, man, we are not just here to be this great nation. We're here to reflect the character of God to all people. That's why God has established and loves and and is empowering Zion and the, the Israelite people. The purpose of Zion. But then we also see the glory of Zion. Let's read verse three together. Glorious things are said of you, city of God. The psalmist says, glorious things. Your city is glorious. Now, why is, why is the psalmist identifying the city of God as glorious? We, we learn a couple things. First one is this. God's kingdom rule is worth celebrating. God's kingdom rule is worth celebrating. The psalmist is reminding them that, hey, the, the, the reign of God on this city is something to celebrate. This is why you should be celebrating God's love because his rule and reign is, is worth it. You see, for them, remember, they're, they're coming back, they're feeling down, they're feeling like things just aren't going right, like there's it's kind of a sense of hopelessness. And, and the psalmist is gonna remind them, guys, if, if there's one thing to celebrate, in the midst of your struggle right now, if there's one thing, it's how awesome the rule and the reign and the dominion of God is. Now, I can't help but stop to think and kind of uh, transport us back in the 21st century, because I've already taken you to first century, not first century, anyways. Um, definitely not first century. <laughs> um, so we have 21st century people hearing this psalm, and, and I, I, my mind can't help but go to our country. Our country, if we're looking at our country, you look at it and go, where's the hope? I mean, from a Christian's point of view, where's the hope? We have these elections coming up, the politics are buzzing, there's violence, mass violence being spread in our country. I mean, you, you pick the issue and it's happening. Where's the hope? And if we learn anything from the psalmist right now in this part of the psalm, it's this, that God is worth celebrating. There is hope in the, in the reign, in the rule of God. There's no hope in the, in the reign of America. There's no hope in the reign of nations. There's hope in the reign of God. That's what we can celebrate as Christians. So we don't have to go on our social media, we don't have to go in our conversations, we don't have to go to work and get drugged down in these conversations of of hopelessness and despair and oh, who are we gonna vote for? It's just such two bad decisions and I'm just not gonna vote. Forget that, celebrate God. God's gonna take care of it. 
God's not surprised at the demise of our country. He's not surprised at the direction our country's going. He's not surprised. He is in complete control, and all he's asking of us is to celebrate that. Because we really can't change anything anyway. But we can keep our eyes focused on the truth of who God is. And that's what the psalmist was trying to get the people to focus on. You, you, you may have a, a sense of hopeless situation, but you have an amazing God who loves you and who's in control. And that's glorious, and that's awesome. So we go on. Zion is also glorious because of God's unrelenting love for all people. Let's read verses four through six. I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me. Philistia too and Tyre along with Cush and will say this one was born in Zion. Indeed of Zion it will be said this one and that one were born in her and the Most High himself will establish her. For the Lord will write in the register of the peoples this one was born in Zion. You see what's great about this is that we're not the only ones as Christians right now who are celebrating. Right? The psalmist is saying, hey, you guys have this great hope. You guys have something to celebrate in the love of God. But, but Zion, his rule is so much more worthy of celebrating than just how much he loves you. It's the fact that his love extends past you and into nations that have come against you, that have destroyed you, that have oppressed you, that have hurt you, that have wounded you, that have led you into idolatrous ways. God's love even extends out into those people. And he says, you have a God that can take hearts of stone around these other nations and turn them into hearts of flesh that worship the true God, Yahweh. But this is why it's important that you're celebrating this and recognizing this because it will be done through you. The love of God will be expressed through the Israelite people. They are gonna be a part of this great mission to see everyone confess Jesus as Lord. And for the Israelite people, it would be confess God as Yahweh. Psalmist is saying, this is why you're here. This is why God has brought you back. There are so many more people that need to know about Yahweh and come to trust Yahweh. Can you imagine like the singing and dancing going on? It, it, I mean, they have to be celebrating something right now. I mean, just like you guys, you guys are up. I mean, I need to calm you guys down. You're so excited. People have their eyes fixed on the glory of God. When we were worshiping this morning, looking around, you could see your hearts worshiping the glory of God, and that was so awesome. People are having their fixed, their eyes on God's glory because of this deep connection with their love of God for them. The worries of the things not being as good as before, maybe a sense of hopelessness, they have faded into the background of God's glory and his love for them. And they're starting to go, okay, what's next? What's next? What do we do? How does this happen? And the psalmist says, we need to live in the power of God. I want us to read verses five through six again to understand this, that in power, 
God turns enemies into family. Let's read this again. Indeed of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her and the Most High will establish her. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples, this one was born in Zion. Now I kind of touched on this earlier, but I really want to hone on on this for a second. I mean, can you imagine the Israelite people being oppressed, being uh, taken over? I, I mean, they had a lot going on. They had a lot of people who didn't like them because they worshiped Yahweh, the one true God. And now the psalmist is saying, and God wants to use you to go and reach those people and have you love those people enough where they see the true God, they worship the true God, and now they are not your enemies anymore, they are your family. It's gotta create some tension. But I believe why this is so powerful is because the psalmist, God has inspired their hearts. They're so fixed on the glory of God at this point. They're so focused on how powerful and loving God is that they say, yeah, we want to be a part of that, God, and we believe you can do that, and you're going to do that through us. God takes these hearts of stone that have oppressed Israel, that have hurt Israel, and he can turn them into flesh to worship him. That's power. Let's get real for a moment. When I think about this, I think about relationships in our own lives. Relationships where people have hurt you. Relationships where people have wounded you. Maybe it's in your own families, you have relationships that are torn, that are full of tension, that, that are broken, that are distant. Maybe you haven't talked to one of your family members for years. And the message this morning for you is that God can take those relationships and make them new. He wants that of you and for your family. God is powerful enough to step into those situations if you are willing to submit to him and his power and say, God, I wanna be a vessel of reconciliation. I wanna be a vessel of love to, to my family members who maybe are distant and those relationships are torn and God will do something amazing through you and heal the family. If Satan's taking down people, it's through the family systems. And that's not anything surprising to you. God, Satan wants to destroy our families. God has set up, God, the family is an ordained thing by God. Why is it surprising when, when we see families falling apart? It's because the enemy's after it. If you have family that needs to be healed, God is saying, go heal those relationships. I will heal through you. I will, I will go before you. I will demonstrate my power through you because that's why you are here. Maybe it's friends. Maybe you have a friend who is just, they're difficult, they're hard, they've hurt you, and you've just written them off and said, I can't do this anymore. The message this morning is go to that person. Pray for that person. Ask God's love and God's power to flow through you and into that person. And if that relationship is healed, it is not anything you did, but it's because God is loving and powerful and can do it in all glory to him. Because he wants relationships healed and mended. And what's even more amazing about God's power it's even more amazing is the fact that 
He, he not only rules distantly and, and he reigns and he's fully in control, but he is so intimately involved with his family. So God not only turns enemies into family, but God steps into his family and helps us intimately. And so now this isn't just about you going to somebody to heal relationships to see enemies turn into family, but now this is, I believe, God saying to us individually, if there are things, if there are hurts or wounds or burdens that, that I need to step in and help with, I'm right here to help. There may be despair, hopelessness, there may be something that's just oppressing you spiritually, you're saying, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't know if I can bear this anymore by myself. God's saying, I'm right here walking with you because I love you. Because I want my family strong and healthy and experiencing a deep, rich connection with my love. And so God is gonna, he's right there walking with you. Why? So you can be a really good, buoyant, happy person the rest of your life? No, so those hurting can see the love and power of God in your life. And they can know that there's one true God who heals and loves his family. In power, God promises, and this is the psalmist starting to wrap up this psalm. In power, God promises complete satisfaction while we wait until the fulfillment of all things in the new heavens and the new earth. God doesn't just promise an intimate experience with us. He doesn't just promise to write our names by hand in the eternal family tree. But he promised, says, hey, while you're here on earth, I'm gonna promise something to you, complete satisfaction. Verse seven, let's read this. As they make music, they will sing all my fountains are in you. Now, why did the psalmist say all my fountains? I mean, he could have something a little bit more clear. Um, this, this verse kind of reminds me of a, a trip that my wife surprised me with back in March to Colorado. Um, it was, it's gorgeous out there. It's just so awesome. Um, so anyways, this is a few of our pictures to Colorado. Uh, we went snowshoeing and hiking, and to the very bottom right side of the, the screen, that's a frozen waterfalls um, that we were up hiking and snowshoeing around. And the bottom left hand of the screen is a really important photo, it's donuts. Those things, they are uh, highly sought after in Steamboat Springs. Um, they are made fresh every morning, and by usually by 10 or 10.30, they're sold out. Like people just go crazy after him. Luckily, we were up early enough to get them, so that powered our hiking. But anyways, um, beautiful trip to Colorado. But while we were hiking uh, in this frozen waterfalls, I came across this that reminds me of this verse seven. That amidst all of the kind of the still fluffy snow and just the beauty of creation, everything was still. Yet here's this stream. That's just running through. And you wonder why the psalmist uses a stream to communicate this about God. He's saying, look, 
water is the source for life. I mean, everything in creation needs water at some point. He's saying your complete source of life is in God, is in Yahweh. So when things don't seem right, when things seem hopeless, when things are hard and struggling and you just don't feel like you're gonna make it, you can turn your eyes upon Yahweh, you can turn your eyes upon Jesus and find complete peace and satisfaction. Even in the midst of everything else, there's a river that runs through it all and, and gives you life. And I, and I truly believe this is why everyone's dancing and singing and, and they're shouting this because it's like, oh man, like our circumstances don't dictate how satisfied or fulfilled or happy or, or encouraged. It doesn't dictate that. God is my source of life. So when I have my eyes fixed on the glory and the power and the love of God, that is where my life comes from. My life can be full of life because of God. And yet, isn't it interesting that as Christians who hear this and have heard this so many times, we still do something. We acknowledge this great power of God, this great love of God, and, and it fills us up, and yet then there comes a time when something happens in our fallenness. And, and I wanna read this verse, this scripture passage from 2 Timothy 3. Three, starting in verse one. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, having nothing to do with Paul says, have nothing to do with such people. Now, if you're like me who hears that verse, those verses read in light of this message, you go, well, that's a downer. But isn't that the reality? I mean, we can't just pitch this great vision of God because the great vision of God is true, but it's, all, it's only true in, in the light of also humanity is a part of all of this. Like, God is a part of our messiness and our brokenness and our disobedience and our defiance. The reason God is so glorious is because we're so sinful and broken. And so we have to stop and go, okay, if, if God has set us on this mission to display his character to all people, to live in these foreign citizens, celebrating the love of God, living in the power of God, if that's truly possible, or if that, that's truly our mission, we have to acknowledge something, that we deny God's power. We step in and, and we start living life and, and we start to deny the power of God and the truth of God in our life. And that's a problem especially if we wanna be these people who bear the image of God to all people. And this is why it's even more important is because people are always asking for a miracle, aren't they? They always want a miracle. Say, I'll believe in God, if, but he needs to show me a miracle. He needs to do something miraculous. Let me tell you something. I'm looking at hundreds of miracles right now. 
That's why I wanted us to hear that 2 Timothy verse because we need to have God's word revealed to us that without Christ, we are those things that were listed in 2 Timothy. That's who we are in our sin nature. We're lovers of ourselves. We're lovers of money. We're abusive. We're boastful. We're proud. We're selfish. Without Jesus, that's who you and I are. And so when people say, I wanna, I'll believe if I see a miracle, you are the miracle in Jesus. But if you are not living in the power of Jesus, what miracle is there? People say, I wanna hear an audible voice. I wanna hear God speak to me. You know what that audible voice sounds like? You. You are the audible voice. Because in Jesus, you are are the power of God. You are the spirit of God. The spirit speaks through you. But if you are denying the power of God, how is that going to happen? God has brought us from spiritual life. God has brought us from spiritual death to spiritual life. So others can go from spiritual death to spiritual life. God has freed us from the power that Satan uses to oppress us. And we can be that that vessel of power in the lives of others. People are physically, emotionally, and spiritually bound and crippled. And God has empowered you and I to go and to pray for their physical, spiritual, and emotional healing. You have that power. But if we deny it, People don't experience the true God. People don't, don't, people don't see his glory. They're not brought in to, to the love of God. And so we have a real responsibility as a foreign citizen, someone who is living in this country but has our, our names written in the family tree of God. We have a great responsibility. And here's just one application point I'm gonna leave you with. Go out love deeply, and live powerfully. You need to go out. You need to take this message that you're hearing now and not just harbor it for yourself and say, how is this gonna just change my life? But you need to go out, you need to go out to your workplaces, you need to go out to the restaurants that you're gonna go to, you need to go out to your schools, you need to go out to the shopping. You need just to go out, create opportunities, and get in front of people so you can share the message of Jesus with them. The psalmist could have bound all of this up and kept him to himself, but he said, no, this is for God's people. And if God's people take this seriously, then the family's gonna grow. Do we want the family to grow? Do you want God's kingdom and God's family here on earth to grow? If we do, we have to go out. And we have to love deeply. It's, this is simple. We have a, a, a limit of inclusion. And, and we as human beings have this circle, we have this limit of who we include in our life. If they don't look a certain way, if they don't feel a certain way, if they don't have a certain job, if, if, we have all of these you know, conditions of who we let into our circle of relationships. Loving deeply intentions 
and says, no, there's not gonna be any limit of who I include in my life. Whoever God wants to bring into my life, I'm gonna let that happen. Because God's love doesn't have any limits. Just look at all of us. And so loving deeply is intentioning in our hearts. I'm gonna love whoever God brings into my life and specifically praying for people that you wouldn't usually hang out with or talk with or go on walks with or go to the store with or go to church. I mean, pray about people that would stretch, that would stretch your boundaries of who you usually let in your life because those are the people that God is wanting you to be miracles to. And then live powerfully. And, and here's where I see as American evangelical Christians, this is where God's power, this is one example of where God's power, I believe, is, is shaded in our life. Our consumerism is so sinful. When God promises that he will be our complete source of satisfaction in life, and yet American Christians, again, I'm generalizing, but I'm also speaking for myself, but the consumer mentality of, I just need more, and I'm not satisfied unless I have this, this, and this, and, and there's just this hoarding, there's just, I want more. If a non-Christian seeking God and wanting satisfaction in life, if they look at you and you are holding tightly to the matters of this world, how are they gonna see the promises of God being fulfilled in your life? It, you can't have both. Because as you tighten your grips on the material world, you loosen your grips on the promises of God. Again, this is just one example, but I see powerfully that, that if the Spirit of God starts to unleash our hands of the material stuff in this world, people will start to see the promises of God being lived out in our life. You will be those miracles to those people. They're going, wait, you, you don't care about upgrading your new phone? You, you don't care about having a nicer car than a, a 2000? You, you don't care, you don't care about these things? That's a, that's a what? That's a miracle. That's a miracle, you don't care about that anymore. And you go, well no, because it's gonna be gone one day anyway. Plus I can use that money for way other more important things. And all of a sudden you have an opportunity to interject your church, your faith, and the mission of God. We need to daily renounce these desires and consumerism and cry out to God, asking for his power to believe his promises. We need to daily pray for people that God would bring across our paths that need Jesus. Start praying that God would empower you to grow his family here in this church and in this community, around in your neighborhoods. Pray for those things. Ask for God to empower you to go. And we need to have a daily encounter with God's love so we can live from a place of celebration. The psalmist is celebrating. As we have a deeper, intimate experience with God, man, we celebrate more and we start to live powerfully in our life. 
And so I'm praying, I'm challenging you as foreign citizens, living in a world so needing Jesus, celebrate the love of Jesus in your life every day and beg God each day to work his mighty power in your life and through your life, all for the glory of Jesus, amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. I thank you for how much you love us and you satisfy us. God, would you help us respond to the call that you've placed on our lives as living as foreign citizens. In Jesus' name, amen.